Welcome back to the Sisters in Sustainability podcast. As always, we are here to discuss the impact that women are having on the modern sustainable development movement. This week, we are diving into Sustainable Development Goal 8, Decent Work and Economic Growth. From Oregon, we are joined by Sarah White, a personal finance advocate and educator. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. If you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and telling everybody a little bit about what you do. Yeah, thank you so much, Victoria. I'm so excited to be on here. So my name is Sarah White. I went to college in South Carolina and was down there for a while, competed in Miss South Carolina. Now I'm back home in Portland, Oregon, uh, competing for Miss Oregon. So I did that this last year and had an amazing experience. So with that, uh, I created my community service initiative, Further With Finance. And the goal was just to bring quality financial education to the youth of our area. And it's really evolved and built upon itself. So this last year, it actually became its own registered 501c3 nonprofit so that I could continue this and do it past my, you know, glory years of pageantry when, I don't know, eventually I retire, who knows, I'll probably do this forever until they kick me out, you know, because I'm too old. But um, yeah, so it's just a huge passion of mine. I'm really excited to be on here today and share a little bit about it. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're super excited to have you, but tell us, you know, personal finance, I think everybody recognizes why it's so important, but why do you feel that this is such an issue that needs to be educated on? Oh my gosh, yes. Well, there's been a lot of um, studies done into the different generations and our uh, levels of financial literacy, and it's fallen off a cliff. Uh, Back in the 50s, 60s, people were being provided with this education in their schools, in their families, um, and something happened throughout the decades and into the 80s where we just stopped teaching it in schools. Families stopped talking about money. It became the ultimate taboo. I mean, no one wants to talk about money with each other. And so we're all just these ships in the night trying to figure out our finances on our own and feeling like we don't know what to do and we can't talk about it. And there's so many buzzwords and, you know, the finance bros of the world that make you feel like you're too dumb to make your own decisions. And um, we've just come to a really interesting place in our society where I feel like someone needed to say something and to say, no, finances are not that complicated. You can't understand them. You just haven't been taught. So we're just going to have that conversation, provide everyone with this information so that they can be empowered to go out and make their own choices. So the targets for goal eight include sustaining global economic growth, creating local jobs, of course, decreasing unemployment rates, which is a huge issue we're seeing not just here in the United States, but around the world. Um, And of course, creating more opportunities for people to make and invest money. The economy is a global topic, especially as we're seeing the rising impacts of inflation. You know, what would you say are your top three tips for somebody who wants to start focusing on their personal finance? Okay, so top three, I would say, one, you need to have a short-term and long-term goal. You would be shocked at how many people don't even know what their goal is. When you ask them, they just say, I don't know, I want to be better with money, but We know that when we set vague goals, we're setting ourselves up for failure. So set a long-term goal. Maybe it's, I want to have enough money to put a down payment on a car. I want to have a year's worth of my salary saved in an emergency account so that I don't have to stress if I lose my job and I have that cushion. But then also, it's really important to have a short-term goal because accomplishing this short-term goal within one to three months is what's going to give you the confidence to keep going. So maybe the short-term goal is so simple as, 
I'm just going to save $200 in the next three months. You know, not a crazy outrage. It's something you know you can do, but honestly, maybe haven't done in the past. If we're being so realistic, a lot of us have not done that. And so achieving that short-term goal is going to give you that kick of confidence of, okay, I can accomplish the goals that I set out. Uh, so that's tip number one is know what your goals are. Uh, tip number two is we have to get out of the ostrich effect. I love this metaphor because it's such a good illustration of an ostrich when it gets scared, just shoves its head into a hole and doesn't look around at what's around him, right? That doesn't help the ostrich very much. The ostrich can just still get attacked and, you know, gobbled up just like he was before, but now he can't see it. So he feels like it doesn't exist. That's that feeling you get when you don't want to open your bank account app. You just don't want to look. You don't open the bill. You just throw away the envelope. I'm just not going to look. It, it, it gives me too much anxiety. I feel that. I've had that anxiety. I've had ostrich effect moments. But tip number two is you need to work through that ostrich effect. If it's, you know, having a glass of wine while you open the envelope, it is what it is. You have to do it. You know, make yourself comfortable. Maybe get in your pajamas, do a movie night, and then open the bank account app. You know, do something to make yourself feel a little less anxious and calm yourself down a little bit. And then open those things up because we're not going to get closer to our goals if we don't start looking at what's really in front of us. Um, and then tip number three, I would say uh, don't compare your spending habits to other people and feel like you have to spend money on things you don't care about to keep up with those around you. And then also don't feel like your priorities are frivolous if they truly are your priorities. You know, if you're someone who wants to go see Taylor Swift and wants to see the Eras tour. Don't let someone on the internet tell you that that's a waste of your money. It's your priority. That's something important to you. But then the flip side of that is don't, you know, go out to $100 dinners if you don't like the food. It's not worth it. It's not your priority. So don't feel judged or pressured to conform to what everyone else is doing. What does, I mean, I think that we talk about, or at least hear the term financial freedom I think all over the place, you know, people are working towards achieving this goal of financial freedom. You said, you know, don't set vague goals for yourself. So, you know, what, if I were to ask you, what does financial freedom mean to you? And that's exactly it. It's a vague goal. And I think that's my, uh, my issue and my, um, the reason I don't use the term financial freedom. I, I don't like that term and it is so used, uh, in the media, uh, because I think it, it puts this idea of a dream that's not real of someday not having to worry about money, not having to think about money, money being totally gone from your life. But that is not the reality to anyone on this earth, not to the billionaires on their yachts, popping champagne. They have to think about money. They still have to pay their bills and think about money, even though they have infinite amounts, it seems like, um, to the average working person has to think about money. So there is no financial freedom. We are never free of money. Uh, what we need is financial literacy. We need understanding of money. We need it to be a tool that we feel completely confident in using, not something that we're running away from and someday we'll magically be free of it because it's vague and it's not real. So I know that one of your goals uh, is to partner with legislators to make personal finance a curriculum uh, or, or graduation requirement for each curriculum in every state. You know, however, we are seeing a lot of struggles with teachers and obviously a retention rate of teachers across the country. We're also seeing an issue where I don't know if it's this way in all states, but right here in northeastern Pennsylvania, we're seeing a lot of schools are being closed day after day after day due to 
threats of violence and a variety of different things. Um, um, obviously, that's not an issue that we can always control and people are acting on their, their best instinct to try to protect students and teachers. But how do you think that schools can implement programming such as a financial literacy course without sacrificing other educational courses? Yeah, this is a major issue, and it's one that Oregon's experiencing in its own way, too, with um, two things. We have a kind of a looming teacher strike due to the union negotiations. So you can see that that is an issue of teachers already have too much on their plate. And then um, we also did just pass SB3, which is a bill to put a personal finance requirement for our graduating seniors. That was a, a big win. I was super excited about that. But it's the reality of it. How are we going to implement it? And this is something I've gotten into the ground floor of is talking with the Department of Education, talking with the Treasury about uh, getting this implemented. And I think what it is, is there's a lot of supporting organizations uh, that some of them I work with that are nonprofits, that their expertise is teaching finance to students. The teachers that have come through, you know, the traditional educator programs to become high school teachers they weren't taught how to teach finance. That was not a subject in school, so they were not taught how to teach it. And so it's coming together with those two organizations of the nonprofit saying, hey, we know how to teach kids finance. And then the schools and the Department of Education saying, we want to teach kids finance, but our teachers don't know how, we don't have the support for it, we don't have the tools, what are we doing? It's the collaboration of bringing those two groups together so that we can bring personal finance to students in a high quality way, not in just a throw these requirements on some English teacher's desks and say, figure it out. That's not fair to our teachers. We need to give them that support. So in, a, in snooping through your social media, and I've had the <laughs> opportunity to spend a while getting to know you, um, can you tell our listeners about your partnership with the Jump Smart Co Coalition? Yes. And I, I love a good social media snoop. I, I always say, I feel like I know so many of the pageant girls like from across the U.S., even though we've like never spoken because um, I just have followed them so long. Um, yeah. So Jumpstart was a program that I was really involved with in South Carolina and they tackle the issue in a really incredible way. They offer a micro grant to teachers who want to bring financial topics into their existing coursework. So maybe it's a social studies teacher who sees some opportunities to bring in some curriculum or lessons plans that connect to what they're learning about in history, but are also at the same time teaching personal finance, or maybe they want to dedicate, you know, 30 minutes every Friday and do a finance Friday and do a little lesson. Um, it's a micro grant to pay for any supplies that they need. Normally really like 200 to $500, super small, but for a teacher, that's a lot of money. We know the schools don't have that kind of money. We know that teachers are already paying way too much out of pocket. And so Jumpstart is that, you know, Jumpstart to give them that little bit of money in a grant so that they can put that curriculum into their coursework. So switching gears a little bit, I know that you touched on this just slightly, um, but we did meet through the Miss America organization and that's the beauty of this podcast. And all of the women who have come through this season have been candidates and delegates from all across the country. You know, how have you used the Miss America organization and this platform to promote personal finance? Yeah, I I love Miss America. I think it's my it's my Roman Empire. I I literally uh I dedicate all my success to the organization and what it's taught me and I'm so grateful that Miss America empowered me to become a personal finance advocate because it was always in the back of my mind. I had a very 
financially minded family in the sense of as kids, our favorite activity was to open up little businesses. And it wasn't just lemonade stands. We did it all. We were always running little um, selling things that I would sew or any kind of thing we could come up with to go make money. We loved that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then as I went to college, I went to school for finance and I started to see this major lack of financial education as I was starting to manage my own finances and being an independent adult. And so I had this passion, but in life, your passions are not naturally directed to anything. I think a lot of us just float and we're not really sure, you know, maybe we know we care about a few things, but we're not really sure how to get involved And Miss America said, all right, if you're going to do this scholarship program, you got to be an advocate for something. What do you want to be an advocate of? And I said, personal finance. And then from there, you know, you're connected with directors who want to support you, other women like yourself who want to support you. And that's such a beautiful thing and something we need so much more of in society is looking at young people and young women specifically and saying, what are you passionate about? Okay, go be an advocate for that. And we're going to support you. So tell us about your journey into the Miss America organization. I mean, how did you find yourself competing? I know some people have stories where they've done it their whole lives. I feel like I'm one of those people, but then I know people who just started this year. And so I'm always interested in learning more about what it was your experience that got you to where you are now. Yeah, this was, um, it's been my lifelong dream and it's crazy because I grew up in Portland, Oregon. It's not exactly pageant country out here. It's not a huge part of the culture. I didn't know anyone who did pageants, but it was as simple as I turned on my TV one night as a 10-year-old, watched Miss America be crowned, and I will never be the same from that moment. I just, I saw myself on that stage. I saw the woman that I could be someday. I was so captivated by how talented and beautiful and accomplished they were, and I just wanted to be just like them. And every single way. And so it was a dream that followed me. Anyone who knew me in high school will tell you that I told everyone, oh yeah, someday I'm going to be Miss America. Like that's what you want to be when you grow up, Miss America. That's where I'm headed. It was the only thing I could uh, see for myself. And then I went to college in South Carolina and sure enough, first week there at the club fair, walking around, they said, oh, you want to sign up for Miss Gamecock? I said, oh my gosh, sure. This is perfect. I've always wanted to do this thing. Um, and the rest is history. That was my first local competition that I did uh, Miss Columbia shortly after that. And that took me to Miss South Carolina. And it's been such a major and a part of my life and huge blessing from there on out. If you had to, you know, pitch the Miss America organization, I know that we're all sitting here kind of on pins and needles. They've just announced the date for Miss America. I think we're all- My flight and Airbnb are already booked. It took me a week. I was like, Orlando, say less, some sunshine. (laughs) I know. I think we're all in the same boat of as soon as it came out, I called Miranda Moore, who's Miss Pennsylvania. I said, okay, Mm -hmm. well, now we got to make the plan. Like we're all going. We're going. (laughs) Our little group, we all made our plan. But if you had to, you know- sell this organization to a girl who didn't have the same experience that we did of watching this grow up, or maybe doesn't have a friend who's done this or any of the millions of reasons that we've gotten in, you know, what would you tell a young girl who's going to compete for the first time or who's thinking about it? How would you get her to cross that bridge? Yeah. And that is the thing is always the person who's on the edge because it's super nerve wracking. There is no easy way to say it. An on stage question is scary. I would say it just takes 10 seconds of courage. That's all. 10 seconds of courage to take the first step, to say the first word. You don't need to go win. You don't need to go do everything perfectly. It's just for the experience. You know, really, I think most of us would say that it's not our 
crowning moment that made the experience. It's just being there and the experiences you have along the way. And so what I would say to them is just muster up 10 seconds of courage. And then after the pageant's over, you can tell me if you liked it. And normally they do it once. They say, oh my gosh, it was so fun. And, you know, it was scary, but I had the best time. And now I want to do one next week. So if I do this differently and this differently, and then they have the bug and the rest is history. Always that pageant bug. Well, I want to say how grateful I am that you have joined us today to talk about your community service initiative. And I'm going to encourage everybody at home to start setting goals for themselves to work on their personal finance. But before we go, I want to ask, what is one piece of advice that you would give to a young person that wants to create positive change in the world? I, I love that question, first of all. And I would say that no difference is too small to matter. This is something I get stuck with and that I think a lot of um, women like ourselves who are so ambitious, you know, we want to say that we're going to change every single person's life in the whole world uh, and then get a little defeated by feeling what, like we're not accomplishing these major, major goals. But really just making one person smile matters. Nothing, nothing is too small to have a difference and to make a long-term impact on the world. So don't stop yourself thinking that what you're doing doesn't matter, that the difference isn't being made. You are making a difference. You are making an impact, whether that's on the global scale or just right there in your own community, in your own family, one conversation, one kind gesture, that makes a difference. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your passion. To our listeners back at home, you can learn more about Sarah's mission by following her on Instagram at Miss City of Roses 2023 and online at her website, sarahwhiteofficial.com. Learn more about how you can help achieve the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals by following us on Instagram at Sisters in Sustainability Podcast and at Sustainability Starts With You. Join the hashtag SisPodNation today and remember that sustainability really does start with you. Thanks for listening.